0: It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep deep inside minds. We walk the fields under the stars, for love is here at Goldshaw Farm. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming and chasing their dreams. And yeah, it's been a minute again. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Life has just been so crazy here on the farm. I just have not had the chance to record a podcast. So it feels really good to be able to sit down and connect back in with you guys. And we've got a really great interview today, so I'm I'm excited to share it. Uh Tiffany Johnson is uh got a farm and homestead with her her husband in Central Florida. And it's really quite impressive the diverse number of animals that she has on her farm. She's doing everything from dairy to chickens to breeding flocks to uh, goats and and horses, and it's just it's it's amazing the number of things she has moving. And I wanted to actually sit down with her and understand better kind of what she does and how she keeps it all from driving her crazy because. I'll tell you guys, right now on our farm, I am just going nuts. We have nearly 100 birds right now. We're sort of at peak season between, you know, small ducklings hatching, goslings turning into teenagers, goslings that are, are now adults. Um, we've got chickens everywhere. It's just, there's just so much going on in our farm. It's been, it's hard to keep my head straight. And so when I sit back and, and talk to Tiffany and learn what about what she's got going on, I just, Can't imagine it myself. (laughs) But that's not to say that it's not really an impressive model for having a homestead. And so I figured, let's sit down with Tiffany and and learn about what she does.
1: I grew up in a small town and and I wasn't quite, it was kind of like a mix. It was kind of like a rural, but not like out in the country. I was in kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, but we have these small, these neighborhoods where you can have some livestock. So um, I grew up in a neighborhood kind of like suburb, suburbia, but we had, um, my mom had a pony ride business. And when I was little, cause she wanted to kind of impart the, um, the mentality of like, of course, responsibility. It's it also running and maintaining your own business? I think I was like, maybe like three or four, I had no clue what I was doing. She kind of helped me out, but I think it really gave me a good basis of responsibility. And she put me in charge of, Managing a petting zoo, and we had um, we had uh, rabbits and ducks and silky chickens. At one point, we had some turkeys, and that was that was a really interesting story about how that that went south because my mom learned that turkeys can uh, male turkeys when they get territorial. I guess can sound like uh, raptors from Jurassic Park, <laughs> and so that didn't last long. But we had like a pig. We had like a pig. I had so I had like all the farm animals. Yeah. But I think we were like maybe on a quarter of an acre and they just kind of like wandered around the yard and we had like, I, th- I want to say we had like 10 rabbits just free ranging in the yard. And I'm looking back, I don't know how they survived because I think of like all the predators and stuff like that, but we somehow never had issues.
0: Wow. So so it was a childhood where, you know, you had animals in the mix right from the get go.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: And and then growing up as you like hit that teenager phase, did you like have a dream of having a farm of your own or did you like want to go to city life? Like what was your point of view at that point?
1: So um, honestly, it was kind of a moot point. I I did, um, I didn't quite do like high school rodeo, but I, I was a barrel racer. I, I, I barrel race um, and my mom had the, still continued the pony ride business that we, way long before we had ended the petting zoo and honestly, um, my my parents were divorced, so I was living with my dad, and he was like city man, cabinet c- carpenter. And we lived in this ritzy little neighborhood. And for many, many years, the closest thing I ever had to any kind of animal was we had a cat. That was – I had never had a dog. I had never had anything else. Actually, I had a cockatiel. I had, I had a little bird. But um, honestly, there was a point in my life where I just – I didn't think I was ever gonna have a farm, it just like never crossed my mind as anything that I ever wanted to do or be a part of or was ever gonna even happen. I think at the most I wanted to have a horse, but I just I think I was just at that point with my teenage years where I'm like not thinking that far ahead, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I wanted to be an actress and a singer and you know, all those those dreams that you have when you're a teenager. (laughs)
0: but but now here you are today and you've got cows and sheep and goats and chickens and ducks and geese and turkeys and horses i think right like
1: yeah we've we've got so much
0: like the full (laughs) menagerie pretty much i mean i i think we have sort of more diverse set of animals than close to anybody i know you're like up there
1: we've we've got a pretty diverse bunch um i think in total right now we've got six horses and um of course one of them is my barrel horse, of course, my son's pony, and then my husband's horse. And then we still help my mom manage the pet, the pony rides. So we actually do the pony rides. So we've got two extra horses, ponies on hand. And then we've got our small herd of Jersey cows. Um, half of the herd is miniature jerseys. That's what we're really striving to. Um, we're striving for that A2, A2 miniature Jersey herd. Then we've got um, a breeder flock of bearded silkies. And then we've got a separate pasture flock where um, we were focusing on Americanas, but we um, actually just recently started a specialty flock of splash or splash Americanas. And they're like really, really stunning. They're about old enough to finally go out onto the pasture. and We're going to kind of be switching things up with the flock. And then of course we have um, our, we're actually going to be here soon getting ready to harvest our, uh, we've got a flock of, uh, meat chickens, which we have been coined, calling them the chicken nuggets. And of course, their guard goose, Magnolia, who she is a Sebastopol goose, and she's been doing amazing. And then of course, we've got our small flock of ducks, including the ducklings that we hatched from a year batch of eggs. We decided to keep the Cack and camel and the Cayuga duckling. So they're hanging out out there. And then of course, we have our small, small herd of of goats, which um, we're we're closing up uh, birthing season. Our, our Jersey just finished dropping her baby. And then our goats have all had their kids. And now we've just got babies all over the farm right now.
0: <laughs> and it's really impressive when you see just sort of how much you have going on. And, and I guess the, the question for me is, like, how, how did it come to be? Was that sort of your grand plan? Or was it just sort of adding one piece after another after another?
1: So the... The idea of us starting a farm actually only arised about three years ago. And um, it was really a very sudden shift in, uh, in views and mentality on things because um, my dad, I want to say it was, I think, 2017, late 2017. I think it was like September. My dad was diagnosed with uh, cancer of the, uh, I can't remember if it was the tonsil. It was a lymph node in his, in his neck. And, um, so he went in for like, you know, what you, what you do in society, you go in for chemo and radiation and he was doing good. It, it took a toll on him and it took a toll on all of us because my dad was the breadwinner of uh, the family. And my, uh, my stepmom I was like, he needs you by his side. You can't go to work. We're gonna, we're gonna make sure that your, your bills are paid so that you can be there. So pretty much all of my income from my photography business went towards supporting them. And, um, he got through the chemo and radiation and I went up there to be with him for the last week of his, uh, his, uh, chemo. And the last day that I was there, he suddenly was like confused. He was sitting on the couch and he thought he was, cause he was a truck driver at the time. He was asking my mom where their next stop was. And we're like, I'm, I'm, I worked, I I briefly worked in the medical field, but like my red flags are going off. I'm like, mom, something's wrong. And he's like, no, I just need to go to sleep. I'm like, mom, if he goes to sleep, there's no telling if he's going to wake up. We need to get him to the hospital. So we got him to the hospital and he, I'm talking in like 24 hours, he went from um, being totally fine and coherent to not knowing what year it was, to not knowing who we were, to not knowing who he was, to literally falling into a seizure. They had to put him under, he was, he was under an ICU for six days. And it turned out that his immune system was so compromised from the chemo and radiation that a virus managed to make its way into his spine and attacked his brain. And he suffered from severe encephalitis, which is swelling of the brain. And um, he ended up being in the hospital for over 60 days and in and out of the ICU. We thought we were gonna lose him countless times. And it was kind of, um, it was extremely traumatic for, for, for all of us, honestly. And but was what was also kind of the eye-opener, the waking up moment for both me and my husband was that out of my dad's side of the family, his mom died from cancer. Two of his sisters had been diagnosed. One of them lost um, lost their battle with breast cancer. And now my dad, um, that's a total of three out of four siblings. And um, so my husband and I, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, there, there's, again, obviously it's, it's likely genetic, but it's like things, things trigger that, what you, what you do in your environment, what you consume, and all of that stuff affects what's going to trigger that or how it's going to come to rise And that. And, and it might not be anything that I can do that's going to avoid it, but I'm at such a high risk, obviously for, for cancer. And it was like, it was scary for me, but it was more so scary to think of Leon, our son, he, he's got my genetics. So we were kind of like, we need to, we need to change something. We need to do something about what we're doing in our direction. And um, where we currently live right now, it's a, it's a little, little, little house on an acre in in the suburbs. And, uh, but we can't have any kind of uh, livestock, um, I I kind of like sneakily kept chickens for a few years and like you know don't ask don't tell. Uh, oh, I'd rather I'd rather <laughs> seek forgiveness than ask permission because honestly I knew I was not supposed to have chickens here. But um, it was kind of like we need to do something, we need to figure something out. And when we couldn't have the livestock here because we wanted to garden, but we also wanted to raise our own food, and if we couldn't do it here, well, we needed to do it somewhere else. So. I think a year later, like we, we spent the next six months trying to figure out what we could do. And a year later we bought eight acres raw land and we started getting to work. And here we are <laughs> two years later with a bunch of, a bunch of different livestock and getting ready to build our, uh, our future
0: home. So, so when you, you and your husband undertake a project like that, like that's, that's, would overwhelm a lot of people how do it's, you think about doing something like that without getting overwhelmed
1: so um i'm not gonna lie there are some things that i wish i would have done differently or i would have waited on because it's it's the excitement of oh my gosh we've got all this land and oh we can get cows and oh i can manage a little herd and oh my gosh goats are so cute i've always wanted goats and oh i need my chickens and then you know chicken math happens and then you go from having 10 chickens to having I think we've got like, including our, our chicken nuggets. I think we've got about 30 to 50 chickens. Don't tell my husband. I just counted that in my head, but it kind of just happens. And I kind of just, we kind of, we kind of just rolled with the punches. Like we, we started, we we would bring something in and we take some time and start working that in. And of course, once you get all this stuff happening, of course, stuff jumps up and you just kind of, you just kind of got to roll with it and just be like, you know what, Take, take your battles where you can and just do the best you can, honestly.
0: That's, that's, I think that's good advice. I mean, I've always found that, yeah, just sort of you, you always on paper want to do everything perfectly. But mm-hmm. inevitably, there's always the learning and there's always the screw ups and those lessons. But that's, that's really a core part of the process
1: hmm And, um, I, we, I, we definitely tried to take our time in between getting new animals and doing our research. I was already pretty versed in, uh, keeping chickens because we had had the small, the, the flock of chickens at our, at our current house. And, um, then I had been doing research for like a year. Cause I was like, I want a cow. I want to have a milking cow. Like, that's like a big thing. Like we could have, that's, we're talking, um, milk, cheese, butter, ice cream, meat, like that's, that's a big basis right there. And just having one milk cow, like that should be where we started. And so we, <laughs> we made the mistake of, we got, we went to go search for calves. Cause I, where I was on the fence as to whether that I was like, do we want to buy a calf and raise it and train it? Or do I want to get an older cow? And we came across this opportunity where someone was selling, um, a two, a two, calves um jersey calves from a um grass-fed raw milk operation um on the west coast of florida and i was like babe this is our chance like they're only asking um 400 for these calves and like they're not they weren't like fully tested for whether or not they were 100 percent a2a2 but there was a chance they were so we um I reached out to them and I didn't think about this. Like it was a Craigslist ad and I was like, Hey, do you have your calves? The the, the calves still available? I didn't specify heifer calves. And they're like, yeah, we have the calves still. We made this trip. It was like a two or three hour drive with our trailer, get there. And, um, the heifer calves turned out to be bull calves. (laughs) And so we're like looking at them. We're like, Oh my gosh, they're so cute. This is going to be a family count. He's like, you realize those are bulls. Right. And we're like, what? (laughs) And it turned out they had had two completely separate Craigslist posts where they had a heifer calf post, which is the one I saw. And they had a bull calf post, which I had not seen. And so we were like, well, what do we do? I'm like, well, we've already made this trip. They're only $200. Like, I mean, I guess we could get get them as a bull because we do plan on having a bull on the property. We want that sustainability. And so we bought the two bull calves and we're like, if they turn out to be A two and they turn out to be the prospect that we want, we'll keep one. If not, we'll steer them out and we've got we've got freezer meat. So um yeah, that's how we started our farm with
0: with a bull. All right, then you gotta tell me. You just left me in suspense, but how did it turn out with the bull calves?
1: So, um, we ended up, we still have them both actually. Um, we did the testing. One of them turned out to be a carrier of the A2 gene. The other one turned out to be a presenter of the A2 gene, um, which was tremendous. That was such a huge, because oftentimes the A2, A2s, once they've confirmed that, the price goes up drastically <clears throat> because that's a very desirable trait. And then on top of that, um, we did the, um, they, they did the uh, milk, pro- it was not the milk proteins. I can't remember exactly the terminology for it, but they also did the tests on, um, they have tests for, so basically like you can get like milk from cows and certain cows will present milk that is better for cheese making. And he actually has the genes that are favorable for cheese making milk, which I was like, that's awesome. So we, um, we kept the A2A2 bowl, and he actually, the baby that was born just um, earlier this month, that was one—that was his first baby on the, on the ground. Oh, my, my turkeys are trying to get out. <laughs> but um, that was his first baby on the ground. And then his half brother, who was the one that tested as the uh, presenter, we steered him out and he has been living his life happily on our farm, just being a cow and enjoying life to the fullest. And then um, likely... At the end of this year, early next year, he would be going to Fraser. But it was kind of like it's just this opportunity that presented to itself, and we're like, you know what? We we're here. We made the drive. Let's go ahead and just jump on this. They're gonna serve a purpose either way.
0: Wow, that's that's pretty incredible. So, <laughs> you know, one of those things about dairy calves, right, and cows, and and having dairy on the homestead or farm is is. It's controversial. Some folks will say, "Oh, it's totally worth it, and every farm should have at least a cow." Others are going to say, "Oh, it's so much work and it's such a hassle." You clearly have have sort of gone all in on it. What would be the argument for it in your mind?
1: I feel like it's it's really it's really personal preference on that because uh, I mean, it's you have to ask yourself like, what do you want from the animal? Like, what is going to be the purpose of the animal? Do you want a pet? Do you want milk? Do you want Meat? Do you want a little bit of meat? Do you want a lot of meat? So like, there's the whole argument on goat versus cow, and personally, me, I'm like, if I'm gonna have, I would have a goat. I would have. I mean, we do have goats, but they're not. We, we're they're they're really just pets. We don't have them for milk. I've considered milking them just because they there's great uses for goat's milk, but I, I feel like you have to really look at the pros and cons of each. And so, for instance, for goats they produce milk they produce grape milk that can be used for cheese but the difference between goat's milk and cow's milk is goat's milk is natu- naturally uh, homogenized which means that the the cream is mixed with the milk you don't get that cream separation like you do from a cow with raw milk and so there's you can still use goat's milk obviously they have goats cheese, goat's milk cheese and other things like that but i feel like the versatility of the milk for me personally is um makes more sense for me to have a cow so that i have that that cream line where i can just skim the cream off and harvest the cream and then i have just that pure cream that i can use to make cheese butter ice cream and then i have the milk that's left behind that because i'm not like being strictly separative of like separating the cream from the milk it's not skim milk so it's still good for us um but i just feel like and then of course the the whole thing with with the calves so you get with a cat like with goats they have a lot of babies and i think it's uh, depending on the, upon the breed it's normal for them to have three to five kids and depending on the breed now if you're having if you have dairy goats and this is where it kind of comes into the whole you need to ask yourself what do you want to do with this dairy goats they're not really like if you keep like the male goats you sell off the the dolings and you keep the bucklings and you you um Uh, you weather them, I think that's the term for goats, because we, in cows, you you steer them out, but in goats, you, they're, they're, uh, the fixed males are weathers, and there, you can't really, I mean, you could eat dairy goats, but there's really not much meat on them, whereas with, uh, with, with dairy cows, yeah, there, people will say, oh, you're not going to get a lot of meat, but, um, I have to argue. I have to. I have to say that's not really true. Um, I've actually heard a lot of people who have raised Jerseys have said that good quality grass fed Jersey is some of the best beef they've had with marbling, comparative to Wagyu beef. And um, we actually had our first um, when we got when we finally got our milking cows. We got two uh, miniature Jerseys, and the lady she was on hard times, and she was just like, "If you can come get them this weekend." I'll toss in a I'll toss in a steer. So we're like, okay, well, well, we got a steer, and he's already six months old. We raised him up to um, to twenty months, and I would have preferred him to go a little bit longer because he was he could he could have put more weight on, and he had a he had a run with acidosis, and it kind of put him behind. But he kept getting out of the fence, and when you keep getting out of the fence, and you're teaching other cows bad habits. You got to go. But I will say that. The, the meat that we got from him was was really good. It was tender, really good marbling. Um, and I had heard where people had said that the 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 fat in Jersey meat is it's yellow and it's almost sweet. And I can kind of it, it's not like super sweet, but I can tell where they're getting that hint of sweetness. It's it's definitely it's definitely different from traditional beef that you buy at the store.
0: That's great. So now on your farm, you you also have your son and you've been raising mm-hmm. your son very close to the animals. And, and, you know, I know like, as I watch like your YouTube channel, I see him out working in the videos all the time. What have been some of the benefits of, of raising a kid on a farm?
1: So I think it gives him a real perspective on life. Um, I, he, he's been learning, learning the learning, like the value of a dollar, of course, because we don't expect him to always work for free. Like he, he, he does stuff, he does different things and he does earn some money. So that's the first thing. And then of course the responsibility, he also gets to see that, that circle of life, that, that life and death. And it kind of, I help like, I don't want to say it desensitizes him because he, he still cares. He's still very sensitive. We still cry whenever there's a loss on the farm. But at the same time, I feel like he has a much better grasp on the value of life because he has been growing up on the farm. And he really, it's only been like the, like I said, it's only been the last two years that he's really been able to experience this, but he's really, he's really adjusted well. And um, I just, I just, I really like the different perspective on life that he's gotten by having this, this hands-on experience on the farm.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I, I've seen that with so many kids who've, who've grown up on homesteads and farms, where it's it's just it's a very different point of view to to grow up so close to food, so close to life, so close to death, and mm-hmm. just be able to see that cycle.
1: Yeah, and, and and I think it also gives him a different appreciation of food as well. Like whenever we first sent uh, that, that steer that I was telling you about, his name was Big Mac, and um, whenever we got Big Mac back, um, we we tried. We tried uh, one of the steaks, and Leon's never really liked steak. He's always been like, it's chewy. I don't like it, and we made it for him, and he tried it, and he was like, he was so excited. He was like, he, he was sad. He was like, oh, Big Mac, but then he tried it, and he was like, he, he, it's like, you can really taste the love in the upbringing of that animal. You can taste the happiness in it, can't you? And he goes, yeah. I was like, that 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 cow, we know that cow lived a really good life. He was loved. He got to be out there, and we know that he he had a peaceful passing It wasn't uh, it wasn't like he didn't have a stressful life where he was constantly being carted carded around like it's like some places are i know not all of them are but like you just you don't know you just don't know the history of it and so he he could take as much he, he appreciated the meat more than he would if we just went and bought it at the store
0: so for somebody who is listening to this and saying wow Farm life seems like a great life. What advice would you have for them as they look to try to make the leap?
1: Um, I would say, like, obviously, the, uh, the temptation to jump head in is very strong. I'm not going to deny it. And I'm not going to say resist it and fight it for all it is. Definitely jump in. But take your time in thinking things through, there was definitely some points like where we bought the bull calf before we even had cows. Like <laughs> there was definitely instances where we, we did things a little too eagerly. And I think if we would have just kind of like taken a step back and been like, all right, well, you know what, we we were looking at this, this, this milking cow and she's not bred. The lady is offering for us to have her bread before we get her it's going to be 200 extra dollars. Do we want to save that extra $200? Oh, well, we got a bull. So we didn't get her bread. And that actually put a kink in things because she was a little overweight when we got her and d- dairy cows, whenever they're overweight, they, they have a very difficult time getting bread back. And that really threw a kink in things. And then we ended up buying two more dairy cows and down the road, we had to thin our herd. So now, so we had to move on these two cows and it ended up working out in the end, but it was, it was a really stressful situation for for all parties involved so i would just say kind of take your time do the research think things through just logically and it doesn't have to be like six months and you have to wait to start your farm like just just take some time to think it through and just kind of take a logical
0: approach i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation i i like i said i am still very impressed with with the number of things that tiffany has going on Plus she does like photography on the side and she tries to maintain a YouTube channel and uh, Instagram and kind of all the social media stuff too. And so just, she, she's a very, very busy woman. Uh, If you want to check out more of what she's doing on her farm, be sure to look for Our Organic Life on uh, YouTube and Instagram. You can find links for both of them uh, down in the show notes of this episode and until Next time, I will leave you guys with that interview. And actually, don't worry. I will be back soon. I've got a, another interview that I just lined up, so it will not be as big a gap between this episode and the previous episode versus this episode and the next episode. So with that, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to please play our theme song. Thanks a lot, guys. It's got a soul, this hero farm, it falls asleep. Inside my arms, we work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshot Farms. The city life yet yeah, had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshot Farms. Love is here at Gold Shaw